My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. Okay, welcome back to my ongoing bonanza for celebrating 100 episodes of the Wonder Dome. My guests today are yet again past guests who I'm bringing back together, this time in a not-so-new constellation because they know each other quite well, Chelsea Simpson and Michael Stern. Chelsea was my third guest on the Wonder Dome and our episode, Truth in the Silence. And Michael was my 22nd guest in the episode, Emergent Leadership. And together, Michael and Chelsea have co-founded a beautiful offering to the world called the Emerging Leaders Project. And this project stands for the recognition that our world is in transition. Our societies are in transition. The systems that we've relied upon for centuries are breaking down and they're doing so at an accelerating rate. And at the same time, and that's scary, right? Like just really hear that sentence. The systems we have relied upon for centuries are breaking down at an accelerating rate. If we put a period there and walked away, there'd be plenty of work for us to do, but that work might feel overwhelming and scary. What I love about Chelsea and and Michael is that they hold the recognition at the same time there are inspiring new possibilities that seem closer than ever. If we open our eyes and really look, there are people, communities, organizations, societies who are meeting this moment with new approaches and new tools right now. And the Emerging Leadership Project is a... The Emerging Leaders Project is an incubator for this kind of conscious social change, working to empower emerging leaders worldwide to be social change agents by giving them the tools and frameworks for the transformation that we're going to have to go through if we're going to survive. And also the the joyful possibilities that will come if we go through that transformation. So this conversation dances in that space. Um, It's a heady space that we enter, but also I like to think of it as a heart space, a heart, a hearty space in that we are playing with big intellectual abstract ideas, but also with deep emotions and also the question of where these ideas and these emotions intersect with the actual work that needs to happen to transform our social structures. So it was really fun to have uh, Chelsea and Michael back on the Wonder Dome together for the first time with me and with each other. They, 
as you'll hear, the Emerging Leaders meets, I think, every other week as a group online. I've been to a few of these meetings. They're quite beautiful. And Chelsea and Michael and their larger collective who co-lead and co co-serve this group create really powerful spaces for thinking and feeling and listening and connecting. And I hope you get a taste of that in our conversation today. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Chelsea and Michael have for us. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Michael. Welcome back to the Wonder Dome. Hello, Andy. It's great to be here. It's so good to see you both again. Always, my friend. Chelsea, you um, you pointed out something that hadn't occurred to me until we were all here together, but you were the third guest on the Wonder Dome, um, which was back in March, April 2020, yep. shortly after this sort of initial enforced physical distancing of the COVID-19 sort of restrictions. And now here we are, you know, about two years later and uh, a lot's changed and a lot's the same, but there's definitely sort of a sense of arrival in this moment that feels really resonant and interesting and exciting to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to say, I guess I want to say thanks for that. And name that and curious what that evokes for both of you as we, as we officially begin our conversation today. The feeling of um, this being a space that um, collects the word that comes to mind is magic um, at the risk of that not being everybody's word. What I mean by that is um, some sort of place to, for me personally where I've been able to pause, consider lots of data um, at the cusp of something very different and big changing on a global scale. Um, with There's this combination of both yesterday the mask requirement was dropped where I live, which is a sort of in some ways it possibly could be flawed. I'm not necessarily advocating for that being right or wrong, but it's just what, what occurred. And there's a milestone in that in the two years since we last spoke. Mm. And mm. also with Ukraine and what's happening on the global scale on that level, there's this other feeling that's actually quite similar in a sense. Mm. What is this global phenomena and what is my role in it and what's happening exactly? So I, I feel just sort of awestruck by that capacity and that opportunity to be on this, in the Wonder Dome and with you particularly in this moment to mm. what what's here for us, what's at stake. Mm. Mm. Michael, how are you relating to that, that kind of the magic, the, the global energy and question? Well, the, the word arrival has kind of been staying with me and yeah, on a global level, I have the sense that more and more people are arriving at a place of asking some very deep and challenging and important questions. And I have the sense that, yeah, like Kelsey and I use this phrase, the great transition, 
to sort of reference this this collective turning point we seem to be at. And that certainly feels to me like it's arriving more and more fully every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on a personal level, I'm also noticing a sense of arrival that's been unfolding for me recently that feels kind of like coming home, I guess. Um, the image that comes up for me is like, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of arriving at the doorstep of myself, but I haven't fully entered the house just mm. yet. Mm. But I can kind of, I have that like um, anticipatory joy and relief of like stepping through the door and being home and, you know, relaxing and expanding into my space. Um, um, yeah, I'm still on the other side of that door, but, but still that sense of arrival is, is present for me. It brings to mind a, a moment I can conjure of being at the door and being able to go in, but not yet. And then like looking through the window and seeing someone I love, seeing something inside that makes me really glad to be there. And I wonder as, as each of you sort of look through the window of this moment of this transition, like what are, what are some things you're seeing that, that make you ready to open that door? Even, even if you're not quite sure you know how to open it yet, or, or maybe some parts of you aren't feeling ready. What are some of the things you're seeing through the window as we navigate this transition? Yeah, we're going like straight for the heart of the matter here. <laughs> um, I was going to do another bit where I just talked about the weather, but I yeah, I that's what I was expecting. So <laughs> beautiful right. today, beautiful. This is a beautiful day here on the <laughs> island. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say like one of the things I notice I'm definitely working with is well, there's like two parts of it. One, one has to do with kind of the uh, concern that I'm going to disappoint or upset others, people who I may have, you know, had made some commitment to, or have some kind of existing relationship with, or some kind of like shared context that feels like maybe I'm getting to the point where that's falling away. And how do I, how do I gracefully exit whatever that situation is, you know, um, and not wanting to, yeah, not wanting to upset people, have people get mad at me, mm. hurt people, you know, things like, like what, that. Like it, we just stay with that, that, that like willingness to accept that people might get mad, but also the not wanting, like, what are, what are some of the things that, that people might get mad at as you think about that transition? I mean, to be honest, this is the other side of it because the more I do stay with that, the more it becomes clear that it's not actually about the other person, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. that's, a, that's a funny way that my mind kind of like puts the issue out there, over there, you know? Mm, mm. Um, really, I think the underlying thing is how I reorient to my sense of self, like what does it mean that I'm not that person anymore? You know, mm. Mm. and what what what's going to happen to me if I make a choice that's not 
in alignment with who I thought I was because mm-hmm. it feels like I'm becoming this other, this like new version of myself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. How am I going to feel about that? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's some, there's some fears around that. There's some, you know, fears both around like, is it going to work out? You know, is it going to be okay? That kind of thing. Um, but also in terms of, um, yeah, I don't know how to say that, but like, what, what, what does it say about me? Something like that, you know, what does it say about, about who I was and who I might be in the future? And, you know, there's a little bit of, um, can I really trust myself here? Mm. You know? Mm. And, and as I say that, I notice there's a, there's a core knowing that the answer is yes. And I feel excitement about leaning into that trust. And then there are just these these other layers and these other parts that that you know are asking for some attention, and I'm trying to work with that. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Yeah. How about you, Chelsea? What's here for you? Yeah, I think my um, when I think about what we call the great transition, which what that means to me is a future present that's continuing to be volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, this term VUCA that I referenced last time that I use a lot in my work. How do I upskill myself? How do we upskill each other? What is, what are we, what is required for at least my mission? Um, on, on my time on the planet to give us a fighting chance as a collective in a time where there's these exacerbated, um, intensified, polarizing, high stakes realities, climate mm. change, nuclear options, mm. you know, World mm. War Three, et cetera. We don't need to, we, we, we all get it, right? Mm. Um, and part of, so I say that because there's a lot of, you know, obvious fear that inspires in me and vulnerability and possible hopelessness or fruitlessness of anything. But the inverse, the other, the corollary, the other side of that coin for me is almost a coming home in like a, oh, my soul maybe doesn't have to worry about being judged about for some, something that I worry that I'm going to be judged for. And I just, and I do, I worry about being judged. I worry about being liked. Mm. I worry about, Mm. Um, not losing belonging. Um, and I'm someone who's found a lot of my identity and, and pride in being someone who's part of many different communities. Mm. Um, and, but the corollary for me has been then a lot of anxiety that, um, who am I outside of my role in these communities? Just me between me and my higher power, me and my soul. And what if that makes me exiled and lose belonging from these other people and places that have meant a lot to me and people who have trusted me and who I trust. And if, and the, so the, and where has, but I, but something that I like to, I see as a positive trait is a sense of loyalty. That's always been part of my orientation, but the flip side can be um, withholding and being an authentic or being a really, really deeply terrified in a level beyond a conscious level about, what does it mean to just be me for me? Mm. And so, and, and, and I'm very much still exploring that um, sort of like Mike said, I'm <laughs> at, I don't know if I'm at the doorstep or 
in the at the gate or looking at the map or in the house. I can't really tell. So I'm day to day. But I do feel this time at the great transition, there is this unique corollary where I find myself being like, okay, if these things are at stake, what is like the soft animal in my body? You know, what, what, like the Mary Oliver poem, let the soft, your, your job isn't to be good. It's just to let the, let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Mm. What is, what is just feels good and pleasant. And, you know, so there's a, I'm finding a free, a personal freedom, um, in this time. And that resonates with me, what Mike's saying in my own way. And it doesn't mm. undermine or underscore the feeling of like the unraveling or the melting of these old fears and things that are so our parents felt it. My grandparents felt it. It's not new to me. It's not unique to me. I'm not the first. It's like, it's, it's the norm. Um, can be very disorienting and very vulnerable. And, um, but I'm not sure there's another way. Hmm. 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 I'm struck in this moment by, it might be a paradox or just simply the contrast of what we might describe as a lot of, you use the term VUCA, uh, like this, like this huge ambiguity about what the fuck is going to happen and how um, scary that can be. Certainly for me, I can, I can get in touch with fear and, and then at the same time, this sort of like, part that wants to cling to like can't we just go back to like when i just you know that we had j- jobs and 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 you know the the like francis fukuyama's like you know the the end of history like it, we did it you know we got it can't we just go nope can't go back to that and and this third piece that you're both naming in that in the midst of all of that the, like the fear of the ambiguity, the like letting go of a thing that was never maybe really real in the first place and the losses of identity and belonging that come with letting that go is this possibility that we might actually arrive home. That somewhere in the midst of all of that is, is this possibility of arrival into something that's more true or more real or more, more. And, uh, I don't know. That's just like, I have like a whole body smile at that possibility for those of us who can even take some time to reflect on it. And I wonder, I wonder what we do with that or how we share that or what it means to notice that in the midst of perhaps maybe the biggest civilizational or social breakdown in human history, we also have the possibility for this incredible arrival into something more true. only thing I know is that it can't be done alone. Mm. And I, so, and, and there's glimmers of feeling that body smile. I really feel that. And there, it, it is the other side of the coin of being willing to feel um, like without anchor or, un, or like a, a forced unattached or just detachment from any particular expectation or outcome, but while remaining highly engaged. And it's just too much. It's just too complicated to do alone. Mm. Um, 
on some level, I have this feeling like, what are we even talking about right now? Like we're talking in sort of abstractions and about sort of our complex emotional response to these circumstances and times that we're living in. Um, and like the tangible things happening are, you know, this potential world war three is the farthest spectrum of the, of what people are talking about. Right. Yeah. Is occurring right now. Yeah. Um, and so it almost feels like redundant. I don't want to be, we don't want to be the news. I don't want to be like giving the recap of what, you know, the current event, like, you know, going too into the details about what's occurring. Um, because it, uh, there's, there's climate change, there's all of these things to cite. So this, this particular need to go deep and go internal and find spaces to be with other people when we are in a deep internal place and find spaces to share that. How are we making sense of this? How are we processing emotionally? What are we letting go of? What's the human being reality that isn't sometimes is like really, sometimes it means being a pain in the ass, right? Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't always mean being particularly pleasant. It doesn't always mean being particularly clear. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but Mike and I's project, I think was, was birds at a lunch table, the emerging leaders project we were talking and there was just like a resonance in with us both of like, this is what's happening in our lifetimes. And it was something that was deeper than just a, it's like, okay, clicking in like, okay, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Mm. And I, I have this feeling like it, it's, um, it's kind of surreal now that's been almost four years and that so much is so much that we felt is actually happening, which I don't feel any excitement about, <laughs> you know, I don't feel like good for us as, you know, necessarily because you'd hope it wouldn't be the case. Um, but it is what's happening. And so, um, what's required for the project is our own increased capacity to stay with it and stay close to it. And that it, need, it needs to be done with other people and needs to be done together. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thanks Chelsea. What's up for you, Mike? Do you hear her? I noticed I had a funny reaction to you making that comment about more because a big part of my experience and orientation these days is less. <laughs> I'm really seeking out a, a, a quality of sort of like less but better or something like that, you know, less, more essential, you know? So I think one time I, I thought of it sort of like if I was a tree instead of trying to grow more branches and produce more fruits, I feel like I'm being called to really deepen my roots and and stabilize my trunk. And that's a different kind of a more, you know, it's I think it's a kind of a more that um maybe our our society is a little like underdeveloped in appreciating and cultivating. I'm not sure if that's a fair statement, but I guess that's how I feel. Um, and it's interesting because as Chelsea said, well, yeah, like our, our collaboration in the form of Emerging Leaders Project started in 2018, but each of us have been on our own journey that led us to that point since way before that. And so I've been like really living with this sense of mission 
and, and a sense of um, knowing something like this was coming, you know, like not, mm. not, not any of the specifics, but just mm. like kind of seeing the trajectory we were on mm. and having a sense for where that was going to be heading, you know, um, for a long time, like, you know, 10 years or something like that. And now that it's much more visible, right. And like, and like impacting us in much more direct and obvious and immediate ways. It's very interesting to notice how my relationship to that is changing. And, um, you know, on the out, like, like on one level, not much has changed in the sense that I'm still completely committed to orienting my life around this question of how do we navigate this together? But then on an inner level, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's changing. My relationship to it is changing and I'm, and I'm finding myself that quote, right. The, the soft body, the soft animal of my body, that, that, that's the kind of attunement that I'm practicing these days. Um, which I noticed there's a part of me that is a little skeptical of that as being like selfish and privileged, you know, but also there's another part of me that sort of, I feel like, like that's the path to peace in a way for, for, for all of us, you know, like if we could all do that a little bit more, if we could all just be a little more connected to our bodies, connected to the earth and have that kind of space for ease and comfort and, and following what, brings us that sense of aliveness, you know, that to me feels like it would be a huge part of the solution that, um, that maybe is in the field somewhere, you know? Mm. 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 Chelsea, you, you were the first to presence that poem. I wonder, do you, could you, could you pull it up? I feel like we need to hear it right now. Mm-hmm. I had this, uh, I had this poem, I printed it out, um, and I had it and I put stickers on it and I had it in my wall in high school. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm still figuring it out. It takes definitely at least over 15 years, 20 years. Like like all good poems do. (laughs) You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes. Over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting over and over announcing your place in the family of things. It's Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. 
Thank you. Straight goodness, you know? It's medicine. Right? Mm. Mm. <sighs> that call. You know, the way that for me, I'm, uh, I'm sort of, uh, the, and maybe this is the gift of Mary in particular and poetry more generally, is to make something that is quiet or quote-unquote hidden or quote-unquote invisible so clear but in another way it's like she's she's reminding us this is not quiet or hidden or invisible like it is it is as close to all of us as our breath is as the sound of geese flying overhead is as this color of the sky is like that's that's it. That feels like what I meant by the less thing, you know? That like it's all it's it's already all right here and available to 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 let in. It goes back to to what we were talking about, I think, before we hit record, um, what I said about um feeling this pull to to really soak up the experience of being a parent more you know mm. Mm. um it's just like we're like sunsets now that it's getting a little more tolerable to go for walks <laughs> here in maine and um the sunset isn't happening in the middle of my work day <laughs> um i'm like yeah sunsets this is what I need, you know? Simple things every day, they happen. Mm. Mm. Um, but, mm. but they just hold so much, so much of that depth and richness. Mm. You know? I mean, I think it's also what I was saying when I said more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like there is just something so abundant about the simplicity of the sunset. Hmm. And that and that coming home feeling. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Oh. And then and then I become aware of some sadness as um you know, the part of me that connects to what Chelsea's presenced a few times, the sort of, you know, we're hey, we're kind of being abstract, but like, if we were to get tangible, what are we talking about? Well, one thing we're talking about is the possibility that in some way, shape or form, many of the things that we take for granted, like the air we breathe and the water we drink and the land we stand on and the trees that change color and the seasons and on and on and on are in fact at risk that that we might that we might one day as a species look around and go where did our home go i know it's a if we were if we were in a conversation in person, I think I'd let the silence continue. Mm. 
and maybe that's the right call still. I'm just mindful of podcast listeners in there. <laughs> However many minutes. Um, there's no real response other than silence and to feel mm. something like that. Cause it's, there's just it's just too early to verbalize slash if we can ever verbalize what is it what is the mean that that feels closer than it's ever felt experientially in my body in my lifetime mm. i'm aware that one thing that um that that you all facilitate happening on a weekly basis is for people from all over this planet, from all over our home to sit with each other and commune with each other around these very questions. And I, although I've only participated in a few of those gatherings, uh, I'm in touch with a real felt sense of the way in which that space feels, despite the uh, literal physical distance between so many of the participants, the, the way that that space feels really stable, not static, but like, like, there's like an integrity and a holding and a strength present in that group of people that allows for the, like the like fucking like smack of that question. Like what happens if we lose our home to be held in some way? And uh, I don't know, like we were, you know, you put this in air quotes earlier, Michael, no one would have seen it, but you know, if there's a solution one part of the solution is to listen to the call that Mary Oliver has put to poetry. And, and the other thing, the other solution that you named earlier, Chelsea was like, we can't do that, do that alone. Mm -hmm. So maybe I, I guess I, as I, as I presence this group, this emerging leaders group that has many other kind of many expressions, but one of this expressions is like, we're going to meet together. Off, we're just going to keep meeting together. I, I feel kind of curious to hear you both speak more to what that, what's important to you about that in the midst of these big, these big things. Thank you for presencing that. I noticed that as you said, um, as you as you named what we're doing with that space, um, it brought real like a real wave of strong emotion, almost like tears behind my eyes, feeling um, that surprised me. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, my sense of what came up is. I mean, one thing that's present for me is the call we're going to have tomorrow, mm. Um, mm. which which is, um, you know, ostensibly themed around what's happening in Ukraine. But there are, of course, so many intersecting topics. Um, so 
we'll explore whatever comes up. Um, and that feels really tender and potent right now. But I think more generally, what, what I, I, I value that space both as an individual who needs that, you know, mm. I think mm. a big mm. part of the motivation for Chelsea and I creating what we've been creating is because it's something that we both deeply want and need for ourselves. And um, I've gotten so, so, so much over these last two years out of that space. It's an amazing, amazing group of people who show up there. So yeah, I just feel like for myself, what a gift it's been. And then also kind of exactly what you were saying, that that it struck me like we, how much we need that mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. that is such important work in and of itself to just be together and create space to sit with these questions, these challenges, these feelings, you know, the conflicts, like all of it to just create a space of like feeling awareness and curiosity and empathy where we can be in connection with each other. That in and of itself, like makes a dent, you know? Mm. And then lots of beautiful things can emerge from that space in terms of, you know, different kinds of actions that we take in the world and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, just nurturing that field as like a node in the larger energetic body of the planet Mm. has value. And, you know, we've heard many of the people who have participated on those calls say something along the lines of you know it gives them a kind of emotional and spiritual nourishment that they really need to be able to then go back out and do whatever good work they're doing Mm. in the world so Mm. it's like let's refuel let's remind each other who we are why we're here what we're doing what it's all about and then we kind of like Mm. you know disperse and go Mm. Mm. spread those those Mm. seeds of goodness Mm. in all of our Mm. different ways you know Mm. Mm. chelsea how are you how are you relating to that Mm -hmm. yeah and just to give a little i guess tactical or tangible context so the emerging leaders project is designed to be um a leadership incubator for 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 leaders who are doing the quote unquote outer work of leadership, creating results, social impact work, um, but to do the inner work together. And by inner work, we mean a space to um, be with the fullness of our human experience, essentially, um, to a place to bring doubts, concerns, excitement, real questions, challenges, shame, resentment guilt like the that part of our inner life to have a space to be able to be with non-judgment of ourselves and each other and explore that in the context of a global community and explore who are we and how do we make sense of what's happening in the context of a global community of people with a similar deep internal practice that can allow them to hold that space within themselves and stay stable and hold that space for each other and stay stable Mm. 
So that's part of why we haven't, we've been focused on really nourishing more and more deeply a, sm- a relatively small group, like less than a hundred people over the last two years and often less than 50 people. Um, and sometimes the calls can be of different sizes and we've had a call every other week, no matter what, um, for the last two years. And before that we've had different events and in-person retreats, but that shifted with, with COVID, but it's been a gift to be able to really nourish the global nature of this in a much more, um, in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. So I just can't, I guess I just don't know how we're going to, I know I personally, and we have been so, we, we, use, we choose the word emerging leaders project. I'll say it another way for a reason. Emergent in that emerging in that um, this process of coming into being that the world is doing also is happening within all of us as individuals. None of us are the same as who we were before COVID, right? None of us are the same as we've been, you know, from on a, on many levels, um, from day to day, but especially with this, these huge global happenings, they evoke something very different in who we're becoming and who we're coming to be. Um, leader, Brene Brown's definition is anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential and people's and process and people and processes and has the courage to develop that potential. So we're talking about people who maybe, you know, maybe have a title that, that implies leader in their professional life. Maybe that they're taking this on in a very deep way in their family system, right? Maybe other ways that leadership looks, but it takes a lot of courage and a lot of depth to see oneself, to be able to have something real to offer to others. And if we're going to committed to offering that, we need a space for other people to hold that very tender and very vulnerable ground with. So I know that that space has been very critical for me, for my continued emerging and, um, and I don't see how we're going to get to new collective systems when we see how profoundly broken and entrenched, you know, these, our current systems are and how people relate to that, what's happening now in in Ukraine, for example, how much we need some steady, deep, consistent place to have our own emergence witnessed and accompanied. So we're able to be the kind of leaders who can respond to these VUCA challenges that are very complex, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous with a new, with a new orientation that does include a global identity and includes a sense of oneself that, um, having sat with our fears about risk, risking belonging, like I mentioned at the beginning, our fears around safety, all of this very human things that we're all navigating as we consider what it means to be a global citizen. For some reason, this, uh, this phrase is resonating in my mind, the phrase of gene transfer, like there's sort of hereditary gene transfer, which is like a thing being passed down and, and eventually you know, you, like culture is a is an, an analogy here. We've inherited so much culture. Like this is just the way we've always done things. But there's also a nature of horizontal gene transfer where like two entities can just show up and exchange some goodness and like both leave with uh, stronger and more resilient and more adaptable as a result of that, that change. And that's happening on the level of like microorganisms. But, you know, the sort of... Uh, what you all are describing to me sounds like a conscious effort to do kind of that culture making and sort of transfer the, the, the best of these different 
identities and possibilities to each other so that you can kind of go back into the hereditary culture spaces that we've all inherited and ended up in and and play and move a bit more skillfully and creatively and um, resiliently in the face of uh, at least centuries, if not millennia, of a particular way of thinking about human society. I wonder how that metaphor lands with you. Yeah, for me, it brings up this um, this little model, this little like visual representation that we use called the two loops, um, which we have borrowed from the Burkana Institute, uh, Margaret Wheatley and Deborah Fries's work. Um, and the basic idea is that as the previous system goes into decline, the next system is beginning to arise. And so this great transition concept is sort of pointing to this time between worlds, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where like we, we can both witness the previous system in its dissolution phase. And we have a sense of something new that's wanting to come through, but isn't quite like, what is it and how does it work and what does it mean? And, you know, and so then they point out that there are these, they, the Burkana Institute point out that there are these different roles that kind of like emerging leader type people might play, Hmm. which could look like a kind of hospice function to help that which is dying to die with dignity Mm-hmm. And with as little suffering as possible. And in a way that I think of almost as like an act of service, you know, because the death process is an integral part of what allows life to continue mm-hmm. and flourish, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like that end of things that needs to be happening, right? That we need mm-hmm. to be attending to, right? Mm-hmm. On the other side, there's the kind of midwife role of helping this thing that's wanting to come through to, to come through as, as, you know, smoothly and, and in as healthy a form as possible. Right. And then there's also the kind of building the bridge, like illuminating that the transition is happening mm-hmm. and, and helping folks move. Cause I think a lot of us maybe feel like we've got one foot in each of those mm-hmm. worlds Mm. And it's stretching our groin muscles in a way that's a little uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, how do we like help people get from the thing that's sinking to the thing that hasn't fully been built yet? Mm. Right. Mm. These are all different mm. relationships. I think we can, we can explore in terms of how we, how we, um, seek out those other genes in the world that might help give us some, you know, little bit more of resilience and adaptability. And then how we try to bring those things back to our, you know, culture of origin or, or, mm. or the, mm. the workplace that we spend most of our time in mm. or whatever it is. Right. And, and through this kind of cross pollinating and, synthesizing and collaborating you know we're all 
participating in this co-creative act of like, what is the future that we're wanting to try to build together? So I I love the the culture making phrase that you used. I think that speaks really well to to what we're trying to do there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Are there is there um, maybe I'll ask both of you this? Is there a particular role of those three the the hospice caretaker, the midwife, or the bridge builder that? Like, are there, is there one of those archetypes that you feel particularly drawn towards or feel a real sense of uh, calling around? And I'll add for our listeners, no, there's the illuminator, illuminating that these two loops are happening and supporting uh, understanding. And because sometimes those can be, can appear in opposition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the pioneers who are testing, trying new stuff, seeing what works on local scales. And then if and when we have the resources and the insight to connect those experiments, they can understand how to support each other more quickly. Right. And they can not and they can um, be fostered with wisdom and efficacy. Mm. Um, mm. So. OK, I'm going to I'm going to answer your your I feel like I'm drawn to all of those things. Mm. And it's also something that I think is an insecurity. I'm like, do I have too many interests? Am I, do I need to just pick one and <laughs> do that? You know, is that where like, you know, get into a, some whole shame spiral, but I feel like collecting people who are, who have different orientations in the sense of expertise and leadership in these. And then I also do, I, I teach at, at, I mentioned at Parsons school of design and I do this work called consulting, coaching, training with organizations to support them in navigating the trade transition. I don't typically, if ever, use that particular language. Hmm. That's how I make meaning of it personally. Um, and I'll speak to my insecurity about this particular podcast right now and what and work in general. As I worry that it's we're too heady, too many words, too many big words. The vocabulary is like, you know, in, unintelligible to people who have not been part of these conversations previously. Mm. And it's like, what are they even talking about? It's all abstract, <laughs> right? Like these are, these are the things that I think part of why having long-term iterative experiments is important about, because maybe that's true for some people. Right. Um, and maybe some people really resonate and get it. Right. And maybe that's 300 people or 5,000 people, or I have no idea, you know, when you're, we're all in our own bubbles and I really, I'm too close to, to be able to really understand and tell how much, um, that's the case. Um, so that's why we need a global community too. And why I personally feel like I need to have, as far as the bridge builder in me, have different experiments where I'm testing and data and seeing what people are paying attention to, what they're noticing, how they're responding, what they think solutions are. Someone says, it's absolutely cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and blockchain. And that's the answer, right? We don't, we don't know some of those people ourselves. Someone else says, no, F that, you know, that's a, that's a tool of colonialism and it has these climate change impact. The tool is through the inner work. It's got to be through the inner work. That's how we're going to move forward with this. Someone else's policy. People are going to keep doing this stuff until there's policy. And so the point isn't about finding a right or wrong answer, but I think, so I guess that's a long way of saying that part of my, 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 I hope to do is keep looking for the Rosetta stones, 
if people, I believe people are often wanting and seeing something similar as far as this great transition and feel a lot of the same things, but their interpretation of it and they, what they think the solutions are, quote unquote, again, are very different. And they find themselves feeling at odds or opposed or on different tracks, but I'm not always sure that's the case. Mm. So my hope for myself and for this project is to be a place where people can find each other and find coherence and um, be able to consider how do we actually mobilize real people to to something that could meaningfully change those people's communities and those people's leadership spheres and potentially eventually something that could topple a system. Who knows? You know, why not hold the infinite potential of what could happen if enough people are in, are working in alignment to towards mm. something better than what we have now. <laughs> mm. Mm. I really appreciate the part of you that's holding I, I'm experiencing it as kind of the illuminating role of like, hey, just just like let's bring it down to earth here, dudes. Um, there are some there are people who have lots of perspectives on what the hell we're going to do about our future, and if we can't find ways to get those people to talk to each other and learn from each other, then they're just going to fight with each other. And we've got to we've just got to find spaces where we can try out cool policies and see what happens and try out cool technology and see what happens, but not assume that that's our utopian answer and like, kind of like become attached or something like that. And support each other's experiments, be able to try experiments that are better experiments because we're talking to the policy person and we're talking to the inner work person and how we are going to build our team out. And we're talking to the blockchain person and what that technology could look like. Right. And we have communication with them and we're going to try, and if it, if it fails, we're not attached to it in the same way we would be if we didn't do the inner work and we're, you know, think that we're a failure and we, the way things our dad said to us get all brought up and we stop trying and experimenting and we isolate and all of these cascading effects that can feel like a mouthful to say in one sentence, but we all know from experience of being a human and being in our other people, those things happen, right? And how do we just build in more resiliency and adaptability when it's so needed? We have to be able to be resilient and adapt quickly. We have to be able to move in unison together. We have to be able to aggregate resources quickly to try things in a way that makes sense, to share knowledge and wisdom in ways that are expedient and to be self-aware enough to know that in a book of context, we could be triggered constantly, unendingly triggered and wind up feeling paralyzed very easily. As many of us have days, I have days, weeks, maybe a month, right? Where that feels like the case. So how do we build a system that designs for that reality mm-hmm. is the question at the heart of this. And also lighten up a little bit and have some fun sometimes and like laugh and, you know, like it's, we're very serious, right? It's all been very serious and it's important to be able to go there and be there, but it's not the only answer. And it's not where everything good comes from either. It can really be easy to, to dial up too high on that for, for a lot, you know, for a number of reasons. So it's like having fun as people in the community too, is pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Chelsea. Michael, how's that landing with you? Yeah. That's why uh, I love Chelsea as my co-founder. She keeps, uh, keeps me laughing and down to earth sometimes, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was glad. Yeah, it's true. There are like more than just the, those archetypal roles that I mentioned. And and another one I would like to bring in, which I don't think comes from that same model. I think this comes from uh, Frederick Laloux's book, Reinventing Organizations. Um, he has this really elegant term called the shit umbrella. 
And the idea is that sometimes those pioneer people who are like way out on the edges and trying experimental things that may or may not work, um, those people need a safe space where they can operate, you know, where where they're a little bit um, protected from the outside forces that tend towards maintaining the status quo, you know, and it's a really, really important function to have somebody who can create those little safe spaces for the people to play in their sandbox and test out new crazy things and see what actually happens without jeopardizing, you know, the larger system that they're operating within, you know? Um, so maybe some people listening will feel called to, uh, being a shit umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Open that up. Open it up, please. We need them. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I would also say personally, like, I'm, I get very excited about finding those pioneer people, you know, like I, I, I love tracking all of that leading edge stuff that's happening. Um, I don't really consider myself so much of those like real pioneer thought leaders. I feel myself more as like a connector, like Mm. a weaver. Mm. Um, I like finding those things and I like bringing them into community practice spaces where we can see how they play with each other. Like what are the pieces of this puzzle that we're all sort of trying to figure out what is it and how does it work and things like that. Um, so that's the role. Yeah. That, that, that is a kind of a bridge builder mm. role, I guess, mm. I think. And, mm. and I, I find myself gravitating towards that, but I also just wanted to say, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the hospice role mm. that mm. might be like the hardest one in some sense. Um, I think that often looks like, I don't know, you know, people working in like public school systems or yeah, like policy work or, you know, just like really being in the thick of the stuff that doesn't work and it's mm. exhausting mm. and people are getting hurt and it's like that, you know, and and to be able to show up in those spaces with, with love and mm. wisdom and, you know, empathy and like that, Man, that's like miracle work, you know? So just want to give an extra shout out to mm. that. Too. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely get in touch with the part of me that's just like wants to run away from those spaces as quickly as possible and just kind of hope that we can like, leave it behind, but we can't, right? Like that's our friends and family and future generations are all of us are living inside of those old systems. So how do we show up inside of them? without too much attachment to like the cool, shiny, sexy new thing that's out there. People just need some, some healing and support. And then, and then I think even beyond like, there's, there's also a part where, um, where we can, we can on all sides of anything, take the, um, like burn them, burn at the stake approach to things that really, that we don't like. And um, want things to just change because they're mm. messed up, and we understand mm. that a lot of these organizations, these companies, these corporations, these are messed up. And so we say, don't exist. Like you know, you're dead to me. 
Sure. Yes. Okay. That's there, there is an orientation towards not wanting to foster and feed and a set making a set of personal choices. And of course, all, of course, all of that is really reasonable and important and having integrity with what we're supporting and consuming is critical. And there are just things that we can't, that need to be transitioned and that are very complex. Like for example, to make electric, if we're talking about having a zero carbon future, a carbon neutral future, reducing carbon, we're talking about having electric vehicles and solar panels that requires like six times more mining than what we're doing mm. now. Traditional mm. vehicles. Mm. Um, and that's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's just something that's very complex. So how do we hospice whole industries, whole systems that are currently dependent on extraction? There's a system around that. There are people who mm. work in the mines who have for three generations, mm. you know, we, there is, there is an element of just staying connected to the part, to the people who are dependent on these different parts of the system and staying in conversation without exiling them mm. to something that we don't want to deal with that we think is messed up. And it's, and that's obviously easier said than done. And I'm saying a mouthful that could be broken down to a lifelong exploration. Right. So, but at a high level, I think it's more than, it's also just, um, where do we in ourselves shut down and get judgmental? Where do we think I'm not like them? Where do we think I could never do that? And, you know, just, just being mindful of that this is where that then the shadow work comes up. The inner work comes back up. What are the parts of ourselves that we don't want to be that we've never been. And we decided at a young age, you know, my, my parents are like this and I won't do that. You know, there's all this series of things that the reality of being a human being is that we are navigating those questions and we do have those responses and we do have the areas of ourselves that we're not proud of and that we don't like to touch and that hurt to touch. Um, and we get defensive and reactive around. And then where in that response are we missing the capacity to be, um, to be, a to be a part of a broader solution in ways that are, can be very subtle and minimal or ways that might be more overt depending on, you know, the circumstance. Hopefully that's not too broad, but there is, that, there's, there's something there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean the the there's a lot there, as you said. The thing I maybe want to feel most called to underline is the living, breathing human being who is doing whatever work they're doing to live a life. And the, the, the sort of very sensitive, careful distinction between we want to find a way to stop mining because it's killing our biosphere, but we don't want to kill you, person, human. We want to find what we actually want to find a way for you and me all to live, to live. We want to find that way. And the the layers of emotional, social, cultural, political complexity to thread to simply get to a place where the people can talk about that without feeling that the the true existential threat in either direction that's present if we start to look at what it means to stop pulling rare earth metals out of the planet so that we keep keep things going. Like, how do we do that? And I don't. It's like I don't know, but. I really appreciate you presencing Chelsea that if we lose sight of the people in the heart of it, we're probably going to do even more harm. 
to ourselves or to them. And the reality of the costs of our modern life, like none of us, I don't think many of us are advocating for living in the woods with wooden hand tools, you know, without a built environment and transportation available and technology. If you want to have access to technological solutions, we need something like copper. You know, we need things, we need to have, there's material, there's a relationship with the cost of living and having a modern lifestyle that we have not reconciled with. Mm. And so we act like we're distant from and we're not part of, and we are. Mm. And so I, I say these things, I know we're wrapping into, we're close on time, but just that, how do we hold that kabuka, the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity, the human cost and have nuanced, multifaceted, deeply emotional, deeply charged, tribal in every sense of the word, a high stakes conversations that actually move the needle forward and need to come to some sort of, some sort of reckoning. And that's the reality that we're going into in the as a planet and as leaders in every community, there's things like that occurring. And so we hope with the Marine Leaders Project to equip ourselves to learn and together equip others to be able to live in that kind of world. And even the, the potential that could come out of that, it could be a coming home. That's the hype, but we have to be unattached to that because we don't, there's no guarantee that could happen, mm. but we have to be able to envision it also. Mm. 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 Thanks, Chelsea and Michael. Thank you both for showing up today, for playing, um, and for creating that space really consciously and intentionally over lunch four years ago to say like, you gotta, there's something here and it's hard to talk about and it's hard to feel and it's scary but I know we, we can't do it alone. We've got to start weaving some stuff together. And uh, for what it's worth, as one sort of small perspective on that and the few ways I've had a chance to see it and witness it, I've talked to a number of the emerging leaders on this show. Thanks to both of you. I've come to some, some sessions and it's fucking awesome. It's really special. It means more than you know to hear that. It's such a labor of love that is sometimes extremely difficult to keep uh, the unflagging work required, but having <laughs> people like you have ex- responses like that and experiences like that and having a co-pilot like Mike um, is really, it's an experience of a lifetime and something I'm very grateful for. Mm. 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 Yeah. I would just like to highlight at the end here, this thread that's been woven throughout about like, we can't do it alone and, no one of us has the answers and therefore learning how to have a different kind of conversation becomes really, really essential. And um, yeah, I think we, we do a version of that for sure at Emerging Leaders Project, but also this podcast is another version of that as well. And so same on our side, like, for the people, for us and the people in our community to be able to come on here and have this platform to explore these ideas and, and yeah, be a part of that quote unquote solution that we keep hinting at, you know, um, it means a lot, man. So, so we really see you and appreciate you and super grateful to be doing it together with you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Chelsea, I kind of want to hear the Mary Oliver poem one more time. <laughs> Would you be up hey. for reading that one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it evokes, so like it's sort of somehow this is the essential expression of everything we've been playing with. Happy to. 
Okay. And I feel, I feel moved for some reason to add this quote that Mike and I have been talking about based on Hannah Arendt, this book on humanity in dark times. Hope is not the conviction something will work out. Hope is determining something is worth doing no matter what turns out. Mm. Mm. Fuck yeah. Okay. So on that note, Mary Oliver's Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes. Over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. Over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Jeez. <sighs> Thank you both. Goosebumps. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world's while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others. Consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever. <laughs>